Hello and welcome to Accommodation Matters, your monthly guide to the big issues that affect student accommodation. It's that time of the year again when we're intensively preparing for the new intake of students. For the last two years, we've been doing this under a cloud of change and uncertainty and rapid innovation, but now things are just about back to normal. What are they? This year, universities and accommodation providers are able to offer their new students a more normal experience, but the experiences of the students themselves have been anything but normal over the last three academic years. They faced online learning, staff shortages, changed or cancelled exams, not to mention restrictions on their social experience at a key time in their life. This month, we're looking forward to the new academic year in the light of the needs of these new students and asking what it all means for student accommodation and beyond. I'm Jenny Shaw. I'm the Higher Education External Engagement Director for Unite Students. And as usual, I've got a panel of experts with me today. So please, can I ask you each to introduce yourselves and say where you're joining us from? And Nick, can I start with you? Yeah, hi, uh, I'm Nick Hillman. I'm Director of the Higher Education Policy Institute, an Oxford-based think tank. But I'm speaking to you from Manchester because I've been doing an event at the University of Manchester today. Excellent. Thanks, Nick. Um, Melissa, can I come to you next? Hi, my name's Melissa Brown. I'm Head of Operations at UCL and I'm actually sitting on the fourth floor in Bloomsbury, a lovely UCL building. That sounds lovely. And Joe, can I come to you? Yeah, of course. Good afternoon. Uh, my name's Joe Blair and I'm currently the Regional General Manager for United Students Covering Scotland. But I'll soon be moving to head up the Quality and Standards Department within United Students. Brilliant. So on the move. And where are you joining us from? I'm currently joining you from a very wet Aberdeen. Excellent. Thank you. So let's get right into it. And let's start with these new students themselves, the ones that are arriving for the first time this September. So we've published our first applicant index this month, and it was designed to provide a profile of this year's intake of students. So I'm going to come around each of you and ask you what stood out to you from that survey. And Melissa, can I start with you? Yeah, no, definitely. You know, I absolutely loved this report. Anytime I get reports like this, I literally run towards them because the, the information is so important. But what I really loved about it, and I'm not putting in any particular order, is sustainability. A lot of students are really interested in sustainability. In the last couple of years, it's been more and more at the forefront. And I think as businesses, as organisations, we need to catch up with them and actually really be communicating out to them what we're doing in that arena. And also, as always, the community element, this need for seeing a diverse community. There was lots of themes that echoed the Living Black at University report. So I think, again, it's just seeing that the students are really, really raising the flags for certain of these issues. And they want to see organisations really being clear about what they're doing in those spaces. Mm, thanks, Melissa. One of the things that I thought was interesting was that the vast majority, I think it was 83%, are looking forward to making friends from different backgrounds, but only two thirds said that they're confident in talking to those from different backgrounds. Now, my daughter made me put that second question in when she read my questions, because she said, everyone will say they want to make friends from different backgrounds, but who is really ready to do that? And I wondered what you thought about that. So interesting, because I have two boys, 20 and 18, who seem very confident, but I've realised this generation are not as confident as we think they are. And we've seen it in some of the, the things they've said about resilience, et cetera. So 
one of the things that we will be working on, and I know we'll be talking about this later on, is creating more spaces for people to meet. And that's just not pizza parties, you know, like everyone normally does. It's actually encouraging more ways for them to meet and introducing them to others. Yeah. And we'll come back in a minute to talk about what we might do differently for this cohort of students. But Joe, what jumped out for you in these uh, stats? Yeah, there was a few things. So I was really pleasantly surprised to see that students for the most part or applicants for the most part feel confident about finding employment after university, particularly with the political headwinds being so apparent and so public. The employment market feels like a challenge, but does actually feel reasonably achievable. And I think a few years ago, that definitely wasn't the same kind of sentiment around it. I think there is the strong desire to build relationships pre-arrival to the accommodation. Now, that wasn't a surprise because it is a trend that we see pretty strongly, actually, around our UChat app functionality, where you know the students that don't know each other can start to build their relationships before they actually arrive in the properties. And then, unfortunately, the most concerning points for me were around higher levels of social anxiety, imposter syndrome, and the reported increase of eating disorders. So I know certainly as a business, we are increasing our frontline team members, which is giving the students the opportunity to see staff members at the time they would like to see them. However, our biggest focus in these areas will be around training and supporting our teams towards signposting, helping people access the professional support that they need via national and local bodies, And the trend, which points to students seeking more professional and specialist help, such as counselling, is actually really encouraging. Lastly, one of the most interesting things I thought was around the reduction of alcohol and drug use. Now, as much as we've seen the decline in alcohol use, and that has been documented over the last few years, there actually might be a closing of the loop there where students are maybe less likely to self-medicate and more likely to seek professional support. Yes, yeah, that that was something we saw last year, wasn't it? Uh, Nick, we've worked together over a number of years on applicant work, so I wondered what jumped out for you, having seen in detail some of those earlier studies. Yeah, I mean, the first point I'd like to make is how welcome it is to have an applicant index, because we survey students all the time, and we actually know a huge amount about what students think. Quite a lot of them find their experience is not what they expected it to be before they got there. And so it's really important we then go back down the chain to people who haven't yet reached higher education and say to them, what do you think it's going to be like? And sometimes they may be wrong in their expectations and we should help provide more information to them. And sometimes there may be lessons for how universities run themselves in the expectations applicants have. So the first thing I want to say is is how welcome it is that you've done this survey, but also that you plan to follow it through in future years so that we can track over time how different cohorts feel. But the finding that I want to pull out, which I'm I'm sorry to say is a depressing finding, but one that we need to grapple with, is that on quite a lot of the areas you've asked about, around 30% of students have given answer that's really quite worrying. So for example, the question about will you have enough money to live on about 30% say they don't think they will. The question about do you feel rejected by others, about 30% say they do feel rejected by others. And even slightly higher than 30% say they're worried they won't be able to keep up with others on their course. That's a minority, but it's a significant minority of people who are running towards higher education with some pretty big fears. And when you drill down, as you do in the report, further and look at personal characteristics, LGB status, for example, or whether someone's disabled or not, 
the numbers get even worse. Yeah, it is a concern. Certainly the level of anxiety jumped out to me, and I've written about that on the Happy blog. That was incredibly high across the board. But you're right, there does seem to be this group that are vulnerable in different ways. I wonder if if it's following on from COVID, you know, having the two years of real uncertainty, you know, their exams were very disrupted. I wonder if that feeling of anxiety is continuing. And what I'm hoping from this is I know when I read this report, I was thinking about we always, and I'm sure in all of our organisations when we work with students, you know, promote the services. But I think there needs to be more actual conversation, actually tapping someone on the shoulder and actually saying these services are there rather than just leaflets and et cetera. We need to have more communication and talking. And that, that social connection and that community that the majority of them say that they want. And I think that's a really good point. One thing that I think is really powerful about a survey, and we do exactly the same with our surveys are happy, is that you've made the raw data set available for people to work with. So some of these cross-cutting issues, you know, which personal characteristics correlate with bad outcomes or bad perceptions, the data is there for people to play with so that we can all learn new things, questions that maybe haven't sprung up inside Unite students might spring up somewhere else. And I would urge people to use this data set because it's a rich resource now for everybody to use. Yeah, I really hope they will as well, because uh, as you say, we, we're not going to ask all the questions, but we probably want to know the answers to all the questions. So it would be great to hear from people who are able to do that analysis. I was going to ask you as well, Nick, about the academic experience survey that you run with Advance HE. Is there anything that you've seen within the current student body, two thirds or more of which are still going to be here, that perhaps needs to be addressed this year? Well, one new question that we added to the 2022 version of the Student Academic Experience Survey was around loneliness. And we were saddened to see the relatively high proportion of students who feel lonely quite often. Now, that was a new question, so we can't track back and see how it's changed over time. But certainly on my visits to universities, I am told regularly that since COVID has dissipated, the level of involvement by students in clubs and societies and the non-academic parts of student life is not back yet to where it was. And I think we all need to do as much as we can to reinvigorate the overall student experience because you meet friends and have a good time in your learning environments, but you do that even more so in the social aspects of learning. And, you know, as this survey shows, people want to meet people from different sorts of backgrounds, on different courses, from different parts of the world. And it's often in those clubs and societies that that happens. So I think there's an important lesson there for all of us. And I think that's a, a really good segue into what we should be doing, how we need to be responding to this data. Joe, I'm going to come to you because we've done some work on just surveying students who are coming to live with us just to find out what they're into. Do you want to say a little bit more about that? Yeah, so we've done a pre-arrival, in essence, survey around kind of people's likes and dislikes. And what's really interesting is I think we take for granted that everybody wants to make friends and everybody's going to really like these big group events. And what these surveys have really shown us is that every property is so different because of the demographics that are in that property. So you may have a property which is highly international and there's a need for very tailored events. You know, history and politics came out of one of my properties as an example. We really want to see events that are led around history and politics. 
Whereas we'll maybe have like a first year undergraduate UK heavy based property where it's, I want movie nights, I want a party, I want big group gatherings, the pizza event to, to kind of Melissa's point earlier. So it's really interesting. There's a lot of information that we have to work with before the students ever walk through the threshold to be able to tailor that experience for that particular demographic in that particular property. Yeah. And what's new for you this year, Melissa? Is there anything you're doing or dialing up this year? Yeah, so integration, exactly what Joe was saying. We're creating a lot of smaller events and a lot of different style events. So even just going for walks in Richmond Park, in doing the crafting events. But what I'm very interested in introducing and speaking to our student experience team is about finance and budgeting, because I do think it's a skill and we should be exposing students to it. And I think especially with the cost of living and and probably the anxiety they're feeling from their parents and themselves when they come to university, and you saw it in the report, is very important. So where a lot of the events, I think, are looking at life skills. And I remember when I was a building manager many years ago, very informally, I did a laundry course on how to actually do your whites and blacks and separating it. And there were loads of students there. So I think sometimes you might think putting on an event like that, no one will show up, but you might be surprised. They're coming away from home and they've not had to live by themselves. We're also really looking at promoting more about sustainability and the actions we're taking and trying to get them really involved. So we're looking at what sort of pledges that we can make together. So we have lots of small focus groups from across all of the sites, from all different demographics to basically say, let's make a commitment together of how we will live together. And again, that's picking up from the Living Black at University report as well. I keep going on about it because I do think a lot of the themes from that is really seen in this report as well. Mm. Can you say a little bit more about that pledge about how to live together? Because I think I think that's going to be of interest to a lot of people. What is it you're doing? We started looking at it from a customer service point of view and looking at customer service training and looking at how we can dial up really our staff with their service. But then what came out of that was we would actually like to create a pledge. The staff were very open to that of how we would like to serve our residents. And then that turned up even higher once the Living in Black report came out about community how we'd like to live together, not just us saying what we'll give to them, but also what we'd expect back. So currently we're looking at how we can put that into the license agreement. But to start off with, we'll just be introducing it to our 2023 residents. Mm, I think we'll all be watching that with great interest, Melissa. Thank you. Nick, what are you picking up uh, across the sector as a whole, sort of maybe more widely than accommodation? What are universities looking to do new for their students this year? Well, there is a lot of concern because this is the COVID generation. So those who took A-levels this summer or equivalent, it's their first public exams. You know, this is a cohort whose GCSEs were were cancelled. So they may not be as well prepared academically. And they have, in many cases, a set of nervousnesses around all the other things we've been talking about, about the social side of university life. And the other thing that universities are worried about, of course, is some of these things don't only go for the incoming freshers in 2023. Some of them also apply to last year's freshers who had a disrupted year for all the reasons you said at the start, plus industrial action on top of that as well. You know, it'd be fantastic if, for example, Freshers' Weeks 
really reached out actually to second and third years as well as first years because there are elements of the Freshers' Week experience the second and third years missed out on when they were freshers. And the other thing that I think comes through loudly and clearly in your survey is reluctance among applicants to tell their university in advance of particular challenges they may face. So you've got around a third of applicants with a disability who plan not to tell their university before they get there. Now, obviously, it's a personal thing and not everybody is obliged to tell their university everything about themselves before they get there. But most universities would love to know that because most universities would like to make sure the support is in place before people get there and it will reduce their chance of dropping out, for example. It will improve their student experience. And so one lesson I took away from your report about this incoming cohort of students is if they can, I would urge them to contact their university, particularly once their place is confirmed. Now, sometimes people don't like to tell their university about a challenge they have because they're worried it will affect how the university treats them. You know, that place is not going to be taken away from you. Tell the university if you feel there's some particular support you would like and see if they can get that in place for you before you arrive. I so agree with that. How are we able to serve our community if we don't know who's in our community? And I do think that the more information that can be shared with us of how we can support, it's not even if they tell us how we can support, we can work together. There needs to be a collaboration in this relationship. Yeah, no, absolutely. We did ask as well whether applicants felt that their university could meet their needs. And while most of them felt that they they could, it wasn't all of them by any means. And there were some demographic differences, but it is there in the data tables. That might be an interesting starting point for universities who do want to reach out and make sure students are feeling confident to disclose. Jenny, when we launched with you back in 2019, the joint survey we did of, of applicants, we had a um, secondary school teacher come and speak at the event. And he said, we know so much about our pupils and we would actually like to share some of that information with higher education institutions so that they've got the support in place. And of course, you can't do that for all sorts of data protection rules and students or adults. But you think, you know, when a child moves from primary school to secondary school, huge thought is put into that transition. And when someone moves from secondary school to university, and yes, they're an adult, we don't put the same level of thought into that transition. And there may just be lessons for us there, obviously respecting the fact that these are adults and respecting data protection requirements, because in the end, it's in the university's interests and the students' interests that it works out. Yeah, that stayed with me as well. It was Wayne Templeman from St Bonaventure School in London. It did stick with me how much students are known in their school at such a detailed level and how much of that is lost when they move to university. And of course, as you say, they've got to be able to give that consent for that to be shared. They may not want to, but there must be something in that transition that would perhaps help to smooth that path, help to build that confidence of being known by their university as well as their school. But I think we need to be finding out why they're not disclosing. I think that's where the focus should be, really, because in all cases, when someone doesn't disclose, it's because they think there's going to be a repercussion of that. I would really like to look at the data as well to find out who is not disclosing. And maybe then we can look into deeper as to why. Yeah. Well, I think that's a question for next year's survey. So I'm going to make a note of that now. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you were struck as well, any of you, about the 
what I thought was a relatively high percentage saying that they have an autism spectrum disorder or have ADHD. Now, there's going to be probably some crossover between those two groups, but it was, I think, 7% for ASD and 8% for ADHD, which I think was higher than we've seen in previous years, for sure. Is it, maybe I'm going to contradict myself, is it because they're more confident to actually disclose that information because actually it's being spoken about more? Is that why? I think you may be right, Melissa. I think there's also the element where early diagnosis is probably better, particularly in schools. And yeah, kind of to the point earlier, that kind of link from school to university, and I get that that people are adults, etc. But if that could be better managed for students who have particular challenges, whether it be accessibility or or an autism challenge as an example, that would feel a lot better for that individual in the long term and probably help their education outcomes as well. And of course, we've dwelt quite a lot on some of the negative and more worrying aspects that come out of the index. But but it is a really positive societal change, isn't it? That people are in general more willing to talk about mental health challenges. You've got celebrities doing it. You've got parliamentarians doing it. It doesn't have the stigma that it had, certainly when I went to university 30 years ago, and that is something to be celebrated. It absolutely is. I think there's a great openness amongst this cohort, and and we've seen that coming over previous cohorts as well. 25% said they were lesbian, gay or bisexual. Brilliant. I know. That they felt comfortable enough to say it. It's like it's nothing, you know, which it isn't. Yeah. Yes, it's quite an open generation. And uh, another positive, of course, I think has been mentioned is the commitment to sustainability. And Melissa, you mentioned that, didn't you? Yeah, I I just keep going on about it because I'm just so fascinated by the fact I think they're ahead of the curve more than organisations. And we get questions all the time. What are you doing with our waste? Where is our waste going? And et cetera. And they really engage in the UCL campaign for net zero. So for me, I'm very interested in getting the students involved because I think in a building, if we can get the behaviours of the people that are using the building to be different, it can really make a, a massive sustainable impact. I do some work with the Scottish Government from time to time in responsible citizenship. Responsible citizenship is a term that they use a lot and actually it's a really engaging term that we are using with our students. It's like that kind of quid pro quo almost where we can do this, but we need you to support by doing that and that's how you impact the wider picture the, the, I, I don't want to sound too much like a grumpy old man, but... but um, <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> there, was, there was a bit of a distinction between how much the applicants said they cared about issues of sustainability and climate change and actually whether they live their day-to-day lives in such a way that reflects that. Now, look, we're all hypocrites on this stuff, all of us, so I'm not attacking them. But I think it has some interesting potential policy ramifications. So if, for example students are not thinking about their energy usage very much, what can we do to encourage them to think about their energy usage more? And that is an interesting area, I think, for the future. And that's what I'm excited about, because if they're actually saying in this report that they are interested in that area, then it makes when we go to them to say, please help us, then there should be more engagement. It is such an interesting point. I It was higher than I thought, you know, looking at energy usage and, and water and making sacrifices and so on. But it, it was lower than those who, you know, really strongly believed in it. So I asked a younger colleague and she said, well, I think it's because younger people are are very much focused on what it is that big companies are doing, big organizations are doing and feeling that compared to that, well, why, you know, why should we make the sacrifices when it's big organizations that need to step up? So um, I think, you know, what we've been talking about 
what you've you've been saying, Melissa and and Joe, around communicating what we're doing. This is what we commit to. This is what we do. And then this is how you do your bit as well. And it makes a difference. Yeah. When I grew up, sustainability wasn't a thing. You know, it was Prince Charles was talking about talking to plants at the time and everybody thought he was um, in a very strange world. And, you know, how times have changed. And certainly we, we do see some students that haven't come from a background where recycling, as an example, is even thought about. And we also have some cultural differences where in some countries it really isn't thought about. So... Also, we've got to do that bit of unwinding habitual behaviours. I know it's a little bit out of vogue uh, relative to 10 years ago, but I also wonder whether the nudge theory has something useful to tell us here, because what nudging tells us is if we know our own behaviour is out of kilter with norms or best practice, then we try to change our behaviour to bring it more into line with others. So if, for example we know we use far more energy than other people like us, telling somebody that is useful and then you can change your behaviour. So I, I wonder whether you know there's scope for maybe reinvigorating nudge approaches in some of this space. Mm, I'm sure you're right. And I think, Joe, you mentioned international students. So they certainly scored lower on the sustainability questions compared to UK students. So uh, there may be a bit of nudging to do there as well. We had a very interesting uh, dinner on uh, environmental awareness, where we had actually some bursars from Oxbridge colleges. Uh, they were actually quite critical. They said, look, students beat us up all the time to disinvest from fossil fuels and invest elsewhere. And they said, in all honesty, that's dead simple. You just tell your investment managers to move the funds from one place and put them to another place. Actually, it's some of the other stuff that affects our day-to-day lives. It's much harder to, to affect. So we shouldn't pretend any of this is is simple, but if all of us change our behaviour, you can have a dramatic impact towards towards net zero. Another question that came to mind is just sort of more generally, uh, the pandemic has obviously affected our sector, whether that be student accommodation or higher education in general over the last three years. So what are the challenges that are facing student accommodation this year? And Joe, can I come to you first on that? Yeah, of course, yeah. So I think similar to most businesses in the world, we're all feeling the worldwide pain of finding staff that kind of fit in with that business culture or we've got issues with suppliers. And I mean, who knew a boat getting stuck in a canal would have such ramifications? We've got increasing costs, underlying things happening in Europe, the wider world. You've got the fallouts from Brexit still going on as well as the kind of recovery from COVID. And it's all taking time. But from a student accommodation perspective, I think the report clearly tells us that applicants are feeling less confident and we've discussed that at length today and one of the key things that sticks out is it's about having those peer-to-peer like difficult conversations they're really kind of feeling quite anxious around and I think one of the challenges we face as a sector is the need for frontline teams to assist and facilitate the conversation and I also think where uh, applicants feel less informed also links into the need to provide information in ways which people find easy to follow and to access. Now, across the sector, we dabble in various social media platforms. And I think there's the bit around finding that sweet spot of having a presence on the right platform and having the flexibility to change with that. We've seen that between Facebook and Instagram as an example, where we're present, we're supportive, informative, available, inclusive, but not intrusive. And I think that's a real challenge. And I think there is a real need to get this right Hmm. Thanks, Joe. Uh, Melissa, what were your thoughts on this? I think a lot of the challenges that we have is that we need to engage more with the cohort that we have in the buildings, right? 
And if you read this report, they're finding it hard to engage. Then on top of that, we also have staff who are themselves very fragile themselves because they've had two years of COVID being frontline. They've got the cost of living in their own homes. And then they also have to support a cohort in the buildings who are fragile as well. So I think the challenge is going to be that humanity piece of supporting people's well-being, being there for our staff, and also being mindful that underlined all, we're all kind of fragile, if that makes sense. So as I said, communication is going to be key in having those conversations and maybe pausing sometime when someone feels stressed and just saying, how are you? And I think that's for the student and also for the members of staff as well. Is it time, do you think, for a, a, maybe a, a kinder and more supportive leadership? Definitely. Our leadership style, it's really funny. We're going for a real culture change at UCL in our department, which has been amazing because we're really looking at the way that we lead. And I come from you know, a generation which is very task-based. You get things done, there's your list, tick it off, and that's where your happiness comes from. But that's kind of changed now. But I do think in the coming year for our staff, for our students, we really have to bring a bit of humanity into everything that we're doing. I completely agree. And Joe, we've got something similar going on at Unite, haven't we? Yeah, absolutely. So within Unite, we've gone through quite a large structural change in the business. We put a lot more resource into the frontline teams and into the kind of management structures and the learning around the management structures as well, because it's dead easy to stick somebody in and go, right now you're a manager of an accommodation building, here's a set of keys and crack on. And that's not the world that we live in. It's not okay to do that anymore. It's not appropriate. So uh, as a a business, you know, are investing really heavily in in a learning academy, essentially, and, and making sure that all the the line management teams and the front-facing teams have all the right levels of support and learning and continual learning as well to be able to provide the most up-to-date support for the student population and also around the teams on the ground also having the knock-on of that of getting that right support at the right time when they need it for that particular situation and over the last couple of weeks we've been hosting uh, events called class of 22 where we're you know bringing our teams along that journey with us So, yeah, it's been really interesting to see that journey because I started in the accommodation world about 20 years ago, roughly. And that really was the time where you got a set of keys. Off you go. You got paid to take students to nightclubs. I used to get paid to get people drunk, which now when you think about it, it's just embarrassing. (laughs) But that was the world of student accommodation 20 years ago. And, And what the great thing is that we're kind of doing now is we're actually testing our knowledge and going, Is that still true about the student population? No, it isn't. Now we need to do something about it. Nick, is this something that you're seeing more widely across the higher education sector? Yes, I think there is more thought being put into leadership in all its guises and governance, actually, across the sector. It's difficult, though, because there's so many things coming at you at the same time, you know, financial challenges, inflation, changing student demand. And of course, you're original question there about how is the world changing in terms of student accommodation. One thing I worry about this autumn is that there isn't equal levels of demand across the whole country. In some cities, like the one I'm talking to you from, Manchester, it will be harder, frankly, to find a bed than than other cities. And that is why when I talk to year 12 and year 13 students or their parents or their teachers or their careers advisors, I always say, think as much about your student accommodation choice as your course choice. Because when you look back on your university life, 
you know, as I do more than 30 years ago now, I think at least as much about my time in my accommodation, the people I met there, what I did there, than what I did in the lecture halls. And I sometimes think, you know, people rush into their accommodation choices. You know, if you're one of those students who in your survey says they're worried about belonging at their institution and having a sense of belonging, well, make sure, if possible, the accommodation choice you make is somewhere where there's nice social spaces, where there are things organized. And affordability is a huge thing this year as well. And so also where you have enough cash left over after you've paid your rent that you can have a few nights out and you're not spending every penny of your your income on your rent and you've got money to do other stuff as well. And we don't talk enough about you know maintenance. I mean, I, I try not to condemn government too often when there's no one from government to defend themselves and, and explain what they're doing. But I do think it's outrageous that the maintenance support package this year for home students is going up by such a small sum when inflation's running at 10%. And so it's going to make those sorts of challenges that you were just talking about greater and it will affect the greater number of students. It's almost random how policymakers decide how big each year's maintenance support package should be. You know, and that is something that will mean universities have to confront a set of issues and problems that wouldn't have been there if inflation wasn't 10%. Yeah, it's something that um, we definitely are seeing in Scotland as well. I know in the universities up in Scotland, there's a lot of um, conversation around funding and cuts in funding and what that means. So we definitely see that on the, the front line as well, where students are either not understanding how to get hardship funds or they, they aren't getting the hardship funds that they need. There's sometimes more help available from universities than people realise. And in fact, one of the results in your survey is that students or applicants would like to know a bit more about university support services before they arrive on day one. And, you know, it's a tragedy. Sometimes people drop out of university for all sorts of good reasons. They're on the wrong course, their life changes. But it is an absolute tragedy if someone drops out just because they haven't got enough money to buy, you know, the next day's food or pay the next week's rent. And very often universities will help you in those circumstances. And there's one message worth conveying to applicants who are worried about all sorts of things. It's there are people inside every university in the country who want to help you when you really face a a brick wall. And don't just go home, ask for help. That's an excellent point, Nick. Thank you. So final question, I'm going to come around to each of you and I'm going to ask you the question, if there is one thing that you would like this new cohort of students to know, what would it be? And Melissa, can I start with you? I feel like I've said this a few times, but I think I would like them to know to engage, engage, engage from day one to even if they feel like I'm too tired, I don't want to go to the event downstairs, go you'll meet someone. You can meet your best friend for life. Even if you feel, I'm shy, I don't know how to mix with people, go. There will always be someone that feels exactly like you, who feels shy as well. But it's almost like creating a habit for yourself. Because as the first couple of months that you're in student accommodation and you arrive there, it can be overwhelming. But soon your studies will start and you'll be really engrossed in that. So what you need to do is build that habit of reaching out, of talking, of communicating. And just even if you come down to the the front desk every day and just say hi, so that when you do need to speak to someone and you do feel anxiety, you will know people in the building. I love that. Thank you, Melissa. 
Joe, what's your tip? So all of us, when we go to something new, have a very similar feeling to the ones that the applicants will have on day one of walking through the door of their university or their student accommodation. The secret is, is when you get older, you just get better at hiding it and fronting it out. <laughs> so I true. don't. <laughs> <laughs> so all things are temporary and whatever you feel about the situation today, you will feel differently about it in a few weeks, a few months, a few years. And when you're feeling overwhelmed, it's okay. That's fine. Just breathe, ask for support. And no matter where you live or which university you go to, you are not alone. There are unions, societies, support teams of people who just come to work to help support you. And all you have to do is reach out to start the ball rolling. So please do reach out if you need it, anything at all. Another great tip. Thanks, Joe. And Nick, what about you? Well, I'm, I'm going to give you three and you can pick and choose. One is follow your heart as well as your head. Sometimes young people feel it's really important that they do what their teachers or their parents have told them to do. But follow your heart as well. Very often your university course sets you on the track for the rest of your life. And if it's not something you're fully committed to, maybe think again. And and secondly, don't be scared of making mistakes. I mean, sometimes, particularly when you're young, you know, you don't realize actually life is about second chances. We all make mistakes and change our mind. And you can change course after you've enrolled. You know, if your course doesn't work out, you can enroll somewhere else. Don't be scared of making a mistake. And the third thing which builds on something Joe was saying is, you know, university is not only about the academic life. For many of us, it's at least as much about the non-academic stuff as the academic stuff. Uh, You know, if you want to be a journalist, apply for the student newspaper. If you want a job in politics, join the debating society. If you you want to be really fit, you know, make sure you join one of the sports teams. One of the things we know is your academic work is better, actually, when you have a balance. That's great. Thank you so much, Nick. So we're coming towards the end of the show today. So I want to say thank you to our wonderful panel of guests today. Melissa, Joe, Nick, you've been brilliant. And especially thank you for taking the time out to record this at such a busy time of the year. And thank you to you for listening. We're always so pleased to know people are listening and we'd love to hear your feedback. And if you've ever fancied being on the show, just don't be shy, get in touch. We're going to be back soon. We're going to be back with a new episode in two weeks time. We've got an in-conversation episode with a national expert on student accommodation and we had a brilliant chat and it was so informative. So please don't miss that one. Do subscribe to us on your favourite podcast platform so that you'll never miss an episode. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please consider joining others and giving us a five-star rating. So do take care of yourself during this busy time. We'll be back with you very soon. Bye-bye.